0: I'm Russell, and this is Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Voice Over Work is brought to you by Newton Media Group and Patrick King Consulting. Stick around. Today is July 12th, 2022. Happy Tuesday. People skills are your quickest and surest route to success. Whether you're trying to win at work politics, making new friends, or just strengthening current relationships. In today's chapter-by-chapter preview of Patrick King's book, Improve Your People Skills, you can learn how to fit in anywhere and make any interpersonal situation pleasurable. Thanks for joining us today. Chapter 1. Build Your Social Awareness Are you one of those people that loathes small talk, considers themselves an introvert, and wouldn't dream of striking up a conversation with a stranger at a bus stop? Perhaps you're the type who constantly finds they accidentally offend others, or that every other interaction feels a bit off somehow. Or maybe you're just aware of the fact that in our world today, the conversational arts seem to be in decline, and you'd like to make an effort to be more charming, more likable, better understood, and more socially connected to people. Whatever your current social stumbling blocks are right now, the material covered in this book will help you master one of life's most challenging subjects, other people. In the chapters that follow, we won't just look at easy tricks and hacks to use to make you more confident and engaging. We'll also look at why these approaches work, and the underlying mindset shift that's required to become a charismatic, cooperative, and genuinely likable person socially. We'll explore practical ways to start fine-tuning your social perceptions and awareness, to begin strengthening your empathy muscle, to make small tweaks to your language so that other people really get what you're saying, how to listen, how to assert your own boundaries, argue effectively, Apologize when necessary, and trickiest of all, navigate those situations in life when communication breaks down and you have a conflict on your hands. Even if you consider yourself socially awkward and hopeless in conversation, rest assured that there is a version of you that is confident, likable, and socially at ease, and getting there is just a matter of understanding a few basic principles and applying them to your everyday life. Strengthen these skills even a little, and you will find the rewards are immense. The right people skills can completely change your life, whether professionally or personally. It's hard to imagine a situation that isn't improved with a little more tact, charm, and skillful communication. The Triangle Eye Contact Technique There are so many people skills to master and so much to learn that it can be difficult to know where to start. One easy place to begin? The eyes. Even those of us who find socializing difficult know that body language is the foundation of all other language. Arguably, of the entire body, our gaze and where we rest our eyes is the most important. Yet, so powerful is eye contact that not doing enough can make an entire interaction feel cold and detached, while doing a fraction of a second too much can make that same interaction feel creepy or off somehow. The goal with eye contact is to ensure you're connecting with the person in front of you in a very primal, nonverbal way without that connection feeling too intense or awkward. How? The triangle technique is one approach that promises to help. The idea is that This will make the other person feel that you're engaged in what they're saying, but you'll avoid dwelling too long and making people feel weird. Career expert Cara Ronan has this to say about the triangle technique. If you feel a bit awkward staring into someone else's eyes, try this little trick. Draw an imaginary inverted triangle on the other person's face around their eyes and mouth. Chapter 2 the Power of Empathy. A truly genuine compliment. Many people say that flattery will get you nowhere in life. Are they right? Well, it may be that the right compliment can actually work magic. You can probably think of a time when someone paid you a compliment that completely made your day, not only making you feel like a million bucks, but also changing the way you viewed the person giving the compliment. Lindsay Lieben is a psychotherapist and clinical social worker who sees genuine compliments as little nuggets of goodwill that strengthen connections. Compliments can be a useful tool to nurture and enhance relationships. Ultimately, it contributes to deeper, more intimate connection, she says. Compliments make everyone feel good, you included, and they help foster feelings of warmth and rapport. But they have to be done the right way. Here's how. Tip one, make it authentic. Think about something you admire, respect, or like in the other person. Choose something that relates to what you personally find valuable, or better yet, something you know speaks to their values. Tip two, make it meaningful. Why does this thing you see in them appeal to you so much? What effect does this quality have out in the world? In other words, Think about the meaning of possessing this quality. Tip three, make it specific. Keep it simple and compliment something specific rather than going over the top and praising them to high heaven. This goes back to being authentic. Ironically, the bigger the compliment, the less genuine it can feel. People are often suspicious of flattery because it can feel shallow. This only happens when we fail to make our compliments authentic, meaningful, or specific. An example of a great compliment is, This meal is delicious. I love how there are just so many beautiful colors in this salad. This would work well if you were a foodie yourself and knew that the other person cared a lot about good food. The compliment works because it's real and it means something. If someone else was at the same dinner party, and glibly announced, I think you must be the most amazing hostess in the world. Your parties are legendary. It may have come across as a little insincere. Why? Because that person doesn't especially care about being a good hostess. It's hyperbolic and very general. Here's where empathy comes in. You need to carefully understand what a person most values and compliment them in a way that makes them feel good in relation to that value. Do they take pride in their home? Compliment on how well the lighting comes together in the living room. Have they made a big effort to look nice that day? Tell them their sweater color really makes their eyes sparkle. Do they place a lot of value on intelligence? Tell them you admire their taste in books, especially their collection of ancient Sufi poetry, provided this is true, of course. Sometimes people warn against complimenting superficial things like appearances, but this is perfectly fine if done right. Try to link it back to a quality you know is important for that person, i.e., compliment their good taste, or how well an item flatters them. Try to compliment things that people do rather than things they are, i.e., I love that you're always smiling so much will feel better than you're pretty. Likewise. Nice work is a perfectly good compliment, but why not go a step further and say something like, chapter three, better conversation skills, get chunky. When it comes to people skills, arguably the most valuable is the art of conversation. Let's start with a relatively simple, but underappreciated conversational technique called chunking. The term chunking refers to the process of arranging or breaking down information into either bigger or smaller chunks. When we apply the idea to asking questions during a conversation, it's a strategy that may be used to vary the level of information you get coming back to you. This way, you can reach an agreement, acquire more and correct detail, or even persuade people to move from one plane of thought to another. Ultimately, It makes you a better and more masterful conversationalist. George A. Miller was a Harvard psychologist who fleshed out this theory in the 1950s. His big insight was into the way the human brain processes information. There are natural limits that we need to work around. Too much detail is a problem, but so is too little. We can work around these limits, however, with chunking. Let's begin with chunking down where we use questions to bring the other person down to a less abstract, more detailed level. For example, you might be chatting to someone who is excitingly telling you their big visions and dreams, but you ask them something like, so what do you think the next step is? Or, what do you think is fundamentally causing this problem in the first place? Chunking down questions is about finding out more and filling in the gaps of your understanding. It's about detail, as though you were zooming in with a microscope. But if you zoom in too closely, you lose the bigger picture, so to speak. Enter chunking down or asking questions that seek to understand the bigger picture that all the details come together to form. So someone might tell you 20 little details about problems they're having with the project, and you could say, What do you think all these problems indicate? Or, what are you actually trying to achieve with this project? This is like zooming out again and reminding yourself of the bigger picture. Chunking up and down then are just like varying the degree of specificity versus generality. Your questions are a way to turn the dial on the microscope to zoom in or out. So, if we got really good at zooming in and out at will... How would this help our conversation skills? Well, try using chunking up to start with so you can get a broad view of what's going on. At work, for example, you can get a general outline of an issue at hand or with a friend you can ask very generally, So, how's life at the moment? When you want to identify specific goals or develop your understanding, you chunk down. For example, you pause and ask someone, Can you tell me more, or what happened next, to gather more details? You might need to chunk up, however, if you're looking for overall agreement. For example, after a protracted argument or negotiation, you might sit back at some point and say, "Okay, well, we disagree on a few unimportant details, sure, but we seem to have the same goal here, right? You can also chunk up any time the problem you're trying to understand is systematic, So, you might have a discussion about a certain point of miscommunication with a family member, but after this happens a few times, you might like to chunk up and ask, why does this keep happening? What are we doing that's making us repeatedly misunderstand each other? Chapter 4. Navigating Boundaries Understanding Basic Assertiveness Techniques With heightened social awareness of yourself and others, chapter 1, Stronger Empathy, Chapter 2, and A Few Smart Tricks to Create a Fun, Flowing Conversation, Chapter 3. You're well on your way to being one of those warm, likable, and sociable people who we all love to be around. But, obviously, conversations aren't all rainbows and buttercups, and there will be times when you need to assert your own needs and rights firmly, but without encroaching on the needs and rights of others. We've already hinted at tact and politeness in earlier chapters, but assertiveness is a step further than this. According to Australia's Center for Clinical Interventions module Assert Yourself, assertiveness is a balanced response that is neither passive nor aggressive, and it relies heavily on self-confidence. An assertive person treats others as equals and strives to be transparent about their desires, opinions, and feelings. To practice assertiveness, here are a few basic but very effective practical techniques. Use them when you're dealing with a difficult or pushy person or in situations where you need to say no. Stuck Record Technique If the other person keeps questioning, arguing, or pushing at a boundary, try simply repeating what you want again and again without becoming upset, angry, or sidetracked. If someone keeps deflecting or avoiding a question, keep repeating it to avoid getting carried away in distracting debate and pointless detail. The trick is to remain calm, but be extremely specific about what you want. Keep on track, and don't give up. Could you cover for me on Friday again? Said by someone who's been repeatedly taking advantage of your kindness. I'm sorry, I can't do it. Oh, come on. Just this once? I'm really sorry, but no, I can't do it. Jeez, what am I supposed to do now? There's nobody else to cover but you. Yeah, sorry. I just can't do it, though. The Positive No This technique lets you communicate to the asker and to yourself that you're declining because you have good priorities that you're working on and saying yes to and that you don't have the time or capacity to take on another commitment. We all want to be polite and maintain social harmony, so saying no while keeping things positive is a must. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm spending time with my family that weekend. Well, thank you for the invite, but I've had a long week and need some downtime at the moment. Sometimes assertiveness is needed not to turn down people's requests, but to put up a kind of shield when you're being attacked, intruded on, or criticized. Whether the complaint is legitimate or not, the way that people attack can mean you need to put up your shields and artfully deflect their negativity. Negative Inquiry This is an interesting skill in which we encourage the other person to be more assertive by purposely triggering their criticism. You're essentially seeking for clarification on specific statements made about you. These statements could be accusatory or critical in nature. The other person might not even notice you're controlling the discussion if you use this skill. For example, a person says, "The meal you cooked was awful." But instead of going on the defensive and chapter 5, dealing with conflict and disagreement, argue better by steel manning In our final chapter, we'll consider a few useful techniques for those times in life when communication becomes conflicted, hostile, or confusing. Disagreement doesn't have to be a problem if we possess the social skills needed to navigate it properly. In an Atlantic article, Connor Friedershoff explains how steel manning is the highest form of disagreement. How does one argue effectively? You might have heard of straw man fallacy, which is the act of exaggerating or distorting someone's point of view to win an argument. For example, a person critical of vegan diets might claim that vegans are all easily influenced young people with no understanding of nutrition, and they all want everyone to eat measly salads all day long. Such a person might feel that they have won a point against the vegans, as they are in this description, but there's one big problem. That description is not accurate. There is an opposite of this technique that's actually far more helpful to use in arguments, the steel man technique. Instead of constructing an unflattering and easy-to-defeat image of your opponent and then destroying that, steel manning entails constructing the best version of the opposing side's argument before engaging with it. It's being charitable and deliberately patching up the flaws in the other side's argument so they can come up with the most effective counter-argument to your position. You might be wondering why you'd go to all this effort. Well, the steel-manning approach avoids a you-versus-me scenario. By first siding with the opposing side and reasoning in their terms, you demonstrate that you are genuinely interested in and understand their arguments. This will greatly increase the likelihood of them returning the favor, and suddenly, your two respectful peers who are having an intelligent discussion, rather than two enemies who are flinging mud at one another. Even if you arrive at no real resolution, you've done something important, maintained respectful and harmonious relations. Etiquette Matters perhaps in arguments more than at any other time. You're not doing it to be selfless, however. Steel manning ennobles both you and the other person and makes the best of your interaction, wherever it goes. Let's take a close look at the three steps of the steel man approach with an example. Step 1. Create the best version of your opponent's argument by breaking it down. First, Just set your own ideas aside for a moment, not unlike what you do in active listening. Focus on what the other person is actually saying, not what you think they're saying. Clean language will help here. Be curious and empathetic, as though you're simply trying to find out more about a new person or culture, or even an alien race. What's the main point they're making? How are they supporting that line of argument? Can you identify the worldview, points of reference, attitudes, fears, beliefs, and motivations behind the argument? Can you find any weak points, gaps, or flaws in this argument? As you do this, your intent is purely to understand. You're not looking for a gotcha moment. We're also not trying to see if we agree. Just observe and understand. You've reached the end of another episode of Voice Over Work and Audiobook Sampler. Where do you listen? Connect with us at newtonmg.com, and don't forget to sign up for Patrick King's newsletter at bit.ly slash pkconsulting. Tune in again this coming Saturday for our next Audiobook of the Week preview.